as well. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 is where we'll be at today. Let me have a word of prayer before we jump into the Scripture today. Father God, we thank You for this day. And Lord, I thank You that we can, we can worship again in person like this, but Lord, that we can also use technology like we've been using and God, it's amazing because you're taking the message of the gospel and it's being spread to places maybe it would have never reached um, because of this pandemic. And I thank you for the work you're doing. Father God, we've jumped in the book of Philippians talking about joy. And Father, I just ask that you would speak to us today. Speak to us through the preaching of your word. Speak to us through your scriptures. May your scriptures be alive and active. May they pierce our heart and our mind and our soul today. Father, may your scripture encourage though. May your scripture bring hope in the middle of the situation of life that we walk through together. Father God, just speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared this before because it's an, a story I heard some years ago, and it really speaks, and I just think it's so true, to, a, to an analogy of our walk with God or our spiritual lives in Romania and many other eastern countries in orphanages, there's a ton of children who cannot possibly be cared for the, the way they, they need to be cared for. There's, such, there's so many children in, in orphan care um, that they're, they're being neglected with food. They're being neglected with physical touch and care. Uh, there's just not enough workers. And so children from birth to two, three, four years old are left in cribs where they're not touched enough, where they're not cared for enough. Diapers are not changed enough. You'll find kids that are three and four-year-olds still wearing diapers. Um, they're not getting enough food. They're malnutrition, but they're not getting picked up. They're not getting hugged. They're not getting loved. They're not getting kissed because there's just not enough workers compared to the number of children that are in orphanages in many Eastern European countries. And what happens to these children is they end up, end up in a semi-catonic state and often they die from the lack of human contact. I think most of us understand that a newborn baby needs to be held and needs to be cuddled and needs to be loved on uh, for life. And it needs, needs to have food and needs a diaper change and needs to be cared for. They call this condition the failure to thrive syndrome. The failure to thrive syndrome because these young babies are not getting the food and the love and the contact that they need. What we need to understand is that the failure to thrive syndrome can happen in our spiritual lives as well if we're not careful. The failure to thrive syndrome can happen when we are not nurturing our walk with God and the plan and the purposes that He has laid out for us. And what we're going to see today through the Apostle Paul is we're going to see one of those aspects that help us to thrive. I think maybe you're even feeling, I know I feel some of it, because we've been on this three-month journey where there's not been the interaction of the church, where um, it's not been the face-to-face -face where we can get together in a room together and you can hug and you can interact and you can laugh. It's all been over computer and it's just not the same. Some of us feel that. I sense that in conversations I have with people one-on-one. -on -one. They're like, yeah, my spiritual life just seems kind of flat or my connection with God's been flat or my body Bible reading has been flat. And yeah, Brian, I've tried to engage on, on social media or I've been on some Zoom, but it's just not the same. And I think we're all feeling that, like, I've got to get around some people and have some human interaction. I've got to, to have my church back the way, way, way it was, so to speak. And we're sensing that, that my life with God has maybe kind of hit some bumps in the road. I don't think any of us would say, I've just given up, but we all can sense that 
man, I'm kind of stumbling along. And if we're not careful, stumbling along can become down that road of the failure to thrive syndrome setting in. See, the key to avoiding the spiritual disease is in one word. It's called fellowship. We need fellowship. We need that one to another. Fellowship is so much uh, more, though, and so much more rich than what we think of sometimes. Today, in our passage, we're going to see the fellowship that Paul talks about because in true Christian fellowship, we really start to discover the joy that this letter, this book of Philippians, is all about because Paul is writing this to other Christians. And when we start to understand what fellowship is, according to the way the Apostle Paul is teaching it, and we implement that in our lives, then no matter the circumstances of what's going on in our life, we can have joy. Let me talk for a moment with you about the word fellowship. See, I think we use that word uh, too lightly sometimes. We can throw it around, hey, let's go have some fellowship. Let's go spend some time fellowshipping. Let's, let's spend some time hanging out. We say things like, are you going to come over to the fellowship dinner? Or, or we had a great time fellowshipping last night. But many times we think of just getting together or having some food together constitutes fellowship. And it might, but let me dig in a little bit deeper. The word fellowship actually uh, means to have in common. So when you have something in common and you spend time around that common interest, then you have fellowship. So if, if we like to golf and we say, hey, let's go to the golf course together, and there's four of us out there playing golf, well, we, we are now fellowshipping around a common purpose, and that's the, the golf game that we enjoy doing. Or if I'm a teacher, and I say to my other teacher friends, hey, let's go out after work and spend some time, and, and we're going to spend some time talking about what happened in the school day, and we're going to fellowship, spend time. Well, we have a common purpose that we teach together. Or, or if, if I invited a bunch of you all over and said, come on, let's all come together and watch Michigan football. Uh, yeah, some of you are like, I'm not coming. But if I said, hey, if it's UK basketball, let's have a gathering UK basketball. We have all something in common. We have a purpose. We're going to cheer on our UK cats to win the basketball game. Then there's fellowship around that basketball game. And so Paul dives in deeper here, and Paul's like, listen, there is a Christian fellowship, which means that we possess an eternal life with Jesus, and we possess a, a similar or same purpose that I want other people to know Jesus. And so Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's like, I I'm so excited about your true fellowship. Unless a person has trusted their Christ as their Savior, then we don't have fellowship in the gospel. But Paul is writing to Christians, he's like, we have fellowship in the gospel because we have the same purpose, to live for Jesus Christ, to help people know Jesus Christ, to, 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 to share the kingdom of God. In Philippians 2 and verse 1, Paul talks about the fellowship of the Spirit because when a person is born again, when they give their life to Jesus, the Spirit enters into their life and he says we have fellowship in, in unity because of the Spirit. But he also talks about fellowship and sufferings in chapter 3 verse 10 because he knows that the church in Philippi is going through some difficulties and some sufferings just as he's going through sufferings. Paul's in Rome, a couple hundred miles away from Philippi, and he's going through suffering, but they're all suffering for the gospel. So he's like, we're fellowshipping for the same purpose. In, four, in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul addresses those who shared with him. And he said that's fellowship because they were sharing in a common purpose for Christ. See, true Christian fellowship is much more than just having a our, our name on a church roll. True Christian fellowship is much more than gathering together and just having a meal. Paul's saying, listen, true Christian fellowship is when we're living together for the same purpose. 
See, it's possible to be close to people physically. It's possible to be in relationship with people, but not have fellowship with one another because we're living for total different purposes. And Paul's like, listen, we're in fellowship even though we have a great distance from one another. We're in fellowship because we have the same purpose. One of the sources of Christian joy that Paul's talking about this fellowship is Jesus Christ. Because we have the same purpose, because we fellowship the same Jesus, fellowship with the same Jesus, then that brings us joy. See, Paul's in Rome. His friends are in Philippi, but their spiritual fellowship was real satisfying. So in Philippians chapter 1, we talked about this last week as we just had our introduction last week, is that Paul is really driving home, let's live with a single mind or let's live with a single purpose. As we live with that single mind and that single purpose, then our fellowship will bring us joy. See, for a Christian, the single-minded purpose person is concerned about the sharing of the gospel. They're concerned about the spreading of the gospel. They're concerned about the sharing of their faith. And these were Paul's concerns. And Paul says, I understand that the Christians in Philippi have the same concerns. And so together, he says, that brings me joy. When you have a single mind, you don't complain about circumstances. When you have a single mind, you know that circumstances can get difficult. Circumstances can get crazy. Paul's in prison writing this letter. Chained to a Roman soldier writing this letter. Back to the church in Philippi saying, you bring me joy. Paul could have been writing it saying, oh, prison stinks. Oh, the food's terrible. Oh, I'm tied to a Roman soldier. Oh, I only get to go to the bathroom twice a day. Oh, they beat me today. Oh, this is hanging on. He could have been focused on all his circumstances. But instead he says, no, as I hear about the church in Philippi, I'm so excited about what you are doing. What about us and our circumstances? Oh, no, I have to wear a mask again. Oh, I got to wear this in the store. Oh, I got to wear this to be around friends. Oh, I got to wear this to go to church. Oh, our governor now made this a mandate. How could he possibly do that? Oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the kids with school. Oh, no, college football is happening this fall. Oh, no, maybe it's not going to happen. Oh, our circumstances are nothing compared to what the Apostle Paul was walking in. And Paul says, wait a minute. You've got to have a single mind, a single focus. We live for Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. We teach Jesus. We share Jesus. Yeah, there's all this stinky stuff going on around us in our lives, but we have a greater purpose. And if we live for that, we can have joy no matter the circumstance. Paul uses three expressions of true Christian fellowship in our text today. Philippians chapter 1 you're not there, turn your Bibles there. He says, I have you in my mind. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It amazes me. Paul's in prison And he's not thinking of himself, he's thinking of others. He's like, you're on my mind. He's waiting for his trial in Rome. And listen, the trial in Rome could go, you know what, you're okay, keep preaching, keep teaching, you're free, go about your business. But most likely he knows it's going to go, you've been preaching and teaching and now you're going to be beheaded or stoned. 
And he could be so concerned about that. But Paul's not thinking about his situation. He's, his mind goes back to the believers in Philippi where the church was established as he did his missionary journey. And he's thinking about how are they doing and what's going on in their life and how are they walking in Jesus. And he says, when I think about you, you all bring me joy. Because he's thinking about other believers. He's not thinking about himself. So you say, well, who would he have been thinking about? Well, in Acts chapter 16, we see where the church in Philippi was launched. And in Acts chapter 16, if you go back and you read that, you'll, you'll meet some of the first members of the church. For instance, one of the first members, her name was Lydia. She was a seller of fine linen. She would have been known to be one of the wealthy. So he's thinking about Lydia. He's thinking, Lydia came to faith in Jesus when we established the church in Philippi. How exciting to be thinking about her faith and how she's doing. He would have been thinking about the slave girl who's mentioned in Acts 16. She's broken, she's poor, she's destitute, but she also put her faith in Jesus. He would have been thinking about the jailer, the one who had to, who had to actually be part of overseeing those who are arrested for preaching or teaching the gospel. He gave his life to Jesus. He's a blue-collar guy. He's got rough hands. He's probably in the uneducated group. And Paul's thinking, man, that jailer, I remember when we were singing and we were dancing and the gates were busted open and his whole family came to Christ. How exciting is that? And as he remembers the other believers in Philippi, he says, this brings me joy. These are people that Paul had on his mind. I'm sure there were others, but those people were mentioned in Acts 16, and those thoughts brought him joy. I'm sure he had other things he could have been thinking about that took place in Philippi, things that could have brought him sorrow. He could have thought about, well, I was illegally arrested there and I was beaten there. He could have talked about his arrest and, and being put in stocks and embarrassed before the people in the city circle. He could have been thinking about those situations in Philippi. He could have been writing about those things. But no, he's thinking, man, Lydia, she came to faith in Jesus. And man, that slave girl. And man, uh, that jailer's in Jesus. And I'm so excited that they're in Jesus. And that brings me joy while I'm over here chained to a Roman soldier in prison a couple hundred miles away. Circumstances. He's like, I... I I'm not going to let that control my joy. Verse 5, he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Now, that could be referring to their financial partnership because it's kind of known that probably the church in Philippi is one of the, if not the only, one of the few that sent money to Paul to help him on his missionary journeys. And he's thankful, like, look, at you guys have kept encouraging me because you're sending funds. But the church in Philippi, had fellowship with Paul because they lived in that common purpose. And then he also, in verse 6, Paul uses the word good work. This may be focusing on the sharing of their resources, but it was started by the Lord, and Paul was sure, was sure the Lord would continue, and he would complete it. He's like, the Lord started this, but now God's going to continue it, and he will complete it. However, I believe this could also be Paul pointing them to God's work in salvation and in Christian living. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are not saved by our good works. Not saved by our good works, but because of our salvation, we will do good works. And salvation is the good work that God does when we trust Him. But in Philippians 2, we're told that, that God continues to work through us through His Spirit. And I think Paul could have been thinking about that when he says the partnership is, listen, I see the salvation, but I also see not only do you, have you been saved, but I see your good works that are coming out of your salvation. See, I think it's fair for us to say that salvation includes a threefold work. 
It includes what God does for us in salvation, putting Jesus on the cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, His blood shed that covers over our sin. It also includes, though, the sanctification where we grow and where we mature. And it also concludes then our service, that when we come to know Jesus, we come to grow in Jesus, then we go out and serve Jesus or serve other people. This work then continues until we see Christ. And then that's when the work of God will be fulfilled. Paul's saying, I thank you for your partnership. Your partnership brings me joy. Yes, financially, but also you're doing the work of salvation and you're seeing people come to Christ. That's the real basis for joy. Paul had people on his mind. Let me ask you something. Who have you had on your mind lately in a partnership or in a fellowship of the gospel? People that are other believers. Let me ask you, if you're, you're live with us in this room right here, pull out a phone. Pull out a phone or a piece of paper right now. Go ahead and pull that out. If you are uh, on Facebook with us, I want to ask you to do this. What I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to do this in the comments. I want to ask you to think of three people that are, that are other believers in Christ. That you say, you know, I haven't seen you in a while or I've missed you. You've been on my mind. Who are three people right now that God brings to your mind that you can write their name down? You can make a note and you can type it in there. Or if you're on Facebook, just put their names in a comment. Maybe their first names. Who are three people that God brings to your mind right now that you go, you know what, that's a fellow believer in Jesus. And in this pandemic situation, I've kind of been missing them. I, I, I've thought about them, son. They've come to my mind a few times. I've been wondering, how are they doing? Who are three people that come to your mind? If you're on Facebook, go ahead and put that in the comments. If you're sitting here with us live, put their names down. Because I think that's what Paul was doing. Paul's like, listen, circumstances are terrible, but I'm thinking of these other people, and I'm thinking, how can I encourage them in their faith? And for us, circumstances are probably the most terrible we've dealt with here in the United States, and it's affecting our, our, our walk in God, affecting our relationship with other people. And so I want you to get three people in your mind and put them on your mind right now. We're going to talk about those people as we continue through this message. Secondly, Paul says, I have you in my heart. Look what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, Paul's sincere love for his friends was something that could not be disguised and it could not be hidden. He actually says, I have affection. That's a, a special place in your heart. Love is the evidence of salvation. And Paul's like, listen, I love you deeply. And it's because of his salvation, Paul, Paul is sharing that out. 1 John 3 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Paul's like, I love you deeply. And he's talking about people who are different walks of life, different personalities. But he's like, I still love you deeply. Christian love is what binds relationships together. Christian love is at the core of fellowship. Notice how often Paul uses the phrase, all of you, in our text. We're going to see this often. If he was writing to Kentucky, he would have said, you all. But instead, he used the words, all of you, as he wrote this. There's at least nine times in his letter, he says, all of you. He's including everybody in these statements. I love all of you. I have an affection for all of you. They're on his heart. How did Paul share the, show this love for them? Well, what was Paul doing? Paul's suffering and change for Christ. 
You say, well, how is that helping them love? Well, in that time, people were being arrested, people were being beaten, people were losing their lives for the gospel. And Paul was the pioneer. Paul was the pioneer. He, he, was, he was paving the way. And he's the one who's going out. He's like, listen, I'll pave the way because hopefully as I fight the court system, as I fight against Rome, hopefully we'll win some battles that will pave the way for you, church in Philippi, or pave the way for you, church in Ephesus, or pave the way for you, church in Colossae, or pave the way for you, the Corinth church. He's like, I'll be the leader one. I'll go out there and I'll fight against Rome so that the gospel can spread. Paul's saying, I'm doing that because I love you that much. I'll put my life on the line. And not only do I love you that much, I love Jesus that much. I love God that much. I love his message. And he's like, I'm willing to lay my life on the line. Paul longed for his friends and affection for Christ Jesus, and he put his life on the line. See, here's the thing. It wasn't Paul's love channeled through Christ. It was Christ's love channeled through Paul. Stop and think about that for a moment. It wasn't Paul trying to muster up enough love, like, okay, i got to love these people. Uh, they they got to know who God is. they got to know who Jesus is. So I'm going to muster up enough love so that I can do something for them. It was Paul loved God so much, and he understood the gospel so much, and he, and he appreciated the sacrifice of Jesus so much, that he loved Jesus so much and understood the complete gospel and salvation so much that he was just driven by the love of God, like, I've got to go out and do something. And my life means nothing compared to what Christ has done for us. See, how can we tell that we're truly bound and loved to one another? We're concerned about them. We're concerned about other people. We're concerned about how they're doing. The believers in Philippi, they were concerned about Paul. And so they sent Epaphroditus, one of the church members, Epaphroditus, you go check on Paul. But Paul was greatly concerned for his friends at Philippi, especially when Epaphroditus became ill and could not return right away. But when he did return, he sent this letter with Epaphroditus so he can take the letter back. They were concerned about each other. Here's the truth. Christians who practice love always experience joy. Think about it for a moment. When you practice loving other people, no matter your circumstances, you will experience joy. You say, well, what does that look like? I lose my job. Do I wallow in the complaints of that and the circumstances? Or do you say, you know what, I'm going to go out and love some people and do some acts of kindness. My spouse walks out on me in the marriage. Yes, that's an awful situation, and that's an awful circumstance, but at the same time, can I go out and love somebody and care for somebody who's got a, a, a situation where they need to be loved? See, as we give love, then we fill ourselves with joy. One of the principles of counseling is when people come in with situations and difficulties, is try to get them to go do something loving and kind for somebody else. And when they go and do something loving and kind for somebody else, it helps them take their mind off of the circumstance, but it also fills them with some joy. Why? That's a biblical practice that we learn from God. So let me ask you, go back to the three names I talked to you about. The names maybe in this room you put on your phone or the names that you put in the comments. How can you go and share or show some love this week to those folks? God brought them to your mind. I don't think it's by accident we're sitting in this room and I said, pull out your phones, or by accident on, on Facebook you made some comments and some names came to your mind and maybe you didn't even write them down, but they're on your mind and God brought those people to your mind and you're going, what am I supposed to do with them? Well, God wants you to love them some way. 
God wants you to be a, a person of action. Maybe it is I send a text and check in. Hey, you're on my mind. How are you doing? Maybe it's pick up the phone and, and give a phone call. Hey, I just want to check in. We haven't talked in a while. Everything going all right? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How's your faith going? You want to try to come alongside to be that encourager. Paul says, you're on my mind, but also you're in my heart. So who's God put on your mind today? And I would say if they're in your mind, they're probably on your heart. And God's calling us to take an action step this week. Lastly, Paul says, you're in my prayers. I have you in my prayers. Look at verse 9, chapter 1. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He found joy remembering them in their prayer. In his prayers. See, the high priest in the Old Testament, they wore a special garment, the ephod, over their heart. And on it were 12 stones with the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on them. There was a jewel for each one. He carried the people over their heart. It was a symbol that I love these 12 tribes. And so did Paul. Paul's carrying the churches that he had established and the Christians who had come to know Jesus. He carries them in his, in his heart and he says, I'm going to pray for you. See, the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can experience is by praying for one another, by giving somebody else grace. That's, that's why our prayer team, weekly, weekly on, on the Facebook, we say, how can we pray for you? Before, before the pandemic, we're always saying, hey, our, our prayer team's available to you. We want to pray for you. That's the deepest expression of love. Today at the end of service, our prayer team, we're going to ask them to come and they're going to just be up front at the end of our service. And they're just here to, to care for you, to love you in prayer. It's a, it's a mark of how we love one, one another. What's Paul praying for? Paul's praying for maturity. Paul is praying, I pray that these believers in Philippi would grow up in the Lord. I pray that their character would be of good character. I pray that they would be people who love Jesus. Paul is praying all things of faith. You know the three people we mentioned? Could you pray that kind of prayer for people? The people that, you brought, that have been brought to your mind, could you be praying, Lord, mature them. Lord, grow their faith. Lord, uh, strengthen them. Lord, cre create in them a, a Christ-like character because their character is so important to the spreading of the gospel. All of this, Paul's saying, listen, I, I am praying for the church in Philippi that there would be fruit, that there would be evidence fruit that people look more and more like Christ. Paul prays for them for that. He wanted that fruit. It's interesting. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So that's the type of Paul. Paul's praying. I'm praying that these fellow believers remain in Christ. He didn't pray, Lord, take away their pain. Lord, take away their suffering. Lord, get them out of prison. Lord, make sure they have food. Or today, God, take these masks away. Or God, I'm so tired of the government. He went, went praying that kind of stuff. Lord, I'm praying that they remain in you. That's a strong prayer for us to pray for each other. The three people that are on your mind, the three people that are on your heart, could you pray that this week for them this week? Lord, I pray for John, or I pray for Sally, or I pray for Susan, I pray for Mike, or I pray for Stephanie, I pray for Samantha, I pray for, for Adam. 
Whoever the name is, could you be praying, Lord, I pray that they would remain in you. I pray, Lord, that their faith would be strengthened. I pray, Lord, that they would be mature in Christ. I pray, Lord, that they would walk in Christ-like character. I pray, Lord, that they would be people that would shine the light of Christ. Those are some prayers of depth. Do we pray about their circumstances? Sure. Sure, we can pray about their circumstances, but so many times we as the church pray about circumstances and not pray about people growing their faith in Christ. So my call for you today, church, is you have some names in your mind. I would encourage you to contact them this week. Pick up the phone and call them. Send a text to them. You've been on my mind. How are you doing? Do you know we're back in worship services together? I was there Sunday. Or if you're on Facebook, you know, did you know that we're getting ready to open uh, kids ministry this week? I hope you're going to be there. I'm looking forward to seeing you. As we have each other on our mind and we start to pray for each other, God then will reset His church as we've been talking about. He'll reset. What is Centerpoint Christian Church like? He'll reset every church that's in this city and in this state and in this country as we, the church, come alongside to encourage one another. And when you do this, when you live this kind of fellowship, then you're filled with the joy of Christ. Bow your heads with me. Father God.